What's going on, everyone? This is the Founder Hour Podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat, and on today's episode, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Ronnie Feig. He's a footwear and clothing designer and the founder of Kith, a retail establishment and streetwear brand that he launched in 2010 with stores in New York, LA, Miami, London, and most recently, Tokyo. Over the last decade, Kith has absolutely taken over the streetwear game, collaborating with brands such as Calvin Klein, Versace, Nike, Adidas, Tommy Hilfiger, and many others, as well as launching their own collections of men's, women's, and kids' clothing. In this episode, we did a deep dive into Ronnie's humble beginnings growing up in Jamaica, Queens, New York, falling in love with fashion and hip-hop culture at a young age, how he got his start working in retail, how his very first collaboration with footwear brand Asics came about, launching Kith and the early days of building out the brand, his insane work ethic and mindset when it comes to the brand's evolution, and much more. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, uh, I grew up in I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, and you know, as a kid, I um, I became friends with one of my very good friends, uh, with one of my actually one of my closest friends up until today. His name is uh, Joey Coronado, and uh, I've uh, I've told the story a few times, but he's a uh, he was a Dominican kid, and in fourth grade. When I um, when I started uh, public school, which was PS one seventy eight, not far from my house, he he and I both had uh, o- like older sisters. They were six years older than us, and you know they were basically like putting us up on the music and the fashion uh, and those type of things that we got on we got into in a very young age. And I felt like the cultural differences between myself and Joey. Um, me being, you know, my parents were, you know, immigrants from Israel. Uh, I have Israeli parents. And then Joey being, you know, Dominican, also his parents coming from Dominican Republic. I felt like, you know, we were the first generation to really experience the melting pot in Queens, you know, from from our backgrounds. And it was very um, inspiring and interesting at the same time to see so many cultures kind of come together. So I, I just, I fell in love with, um, with what Queens represented, which was like such a diverse group of people with all different cultures. And the group of friends that we had were like, you know, Korean and then Dominican, you know, Haitian, um, African, like there were so many different cultures, um, that were part of our, or that were part of our class and part of our grade that we got to see and and like experience. Also, because when we'd go to our friends' houses, it was like we'd experience the food and the culture through the parents. Like, you know, we got to see all of that at such a young age. So uh, there was a lot of that in Queens, and then all of the fashion that came with that was incredible. So, you know, picking up on sneakers at a really young age, and then what Tommy Hilfiger and Polo and Nautica was were all doing back then was really special. They were building worlds that we really just bought into. Um, and for context, um, around what years is this? This is, uh, so this is like 1990, you know, around 1990. Yeah, early 90s. Like, uh, I, I would say 92, actually. 92, I was 10 years old. Um, fourth grade, I think you're around 10, right? So 
yeah, that was yeah. Um, that, that was that was around the time. You know, I started uh, I started public school then. You know, my, my parents couldn't afford to keep me in in uh, this school. I was going this private school I was going to it was called Solomon Schechter, which was for like you know Israelis that it was like basically their blueprint. You know, come to come to the states, and then it was like, where can you send your kid? Because you know, my first language was Hebrew, so. I didn't even speak, you know, English fluently, I would say until a little bit later in life. So, uh, you know, fourth grade was really the beginning of my life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, we're, we're Armenian. It's, it's not too, not too different. You know, you come to LA, you go to Armenian school and then, you know, exactly. you go on with your life. But same thing happened with me too. You know, my, my mom pulled me out of Armenian school pretty, pretty early on, uh, like second grade. Yeah. And, um, that's when I, you know, uh, started to ex- ex- experience other cultures, <laughs> Exactly. And that's, it's so important, right? It's like, that's where, you know, the, the, the music, the movies, the fashion, you know, Joey, Joey was like really into music and film from such a young age, you know, the first, like, you know, his father, he came from a little bit more of a wealthy, um, family and, uh, his father had a really successful business. So, Joey got these like toys early on the view cam, the first like sharp view cam. I don't know if you remember what that is. Like basically the first, uh, video recorder with the screen, with the screen on the video recorder. Right. So we like, we were, we were starting to make, you know, bullshit little films, uh, from a really young age. And every time his father would take him to the mall, he'd take me too and like keep me included and, and buy me things that he would buy his son. So, Joey was really together. We we were really bouncing things off of each other. Movies that we liked, music that we liked, and continuously just putting each other on the shit. Ronnie, what did your parents do growing up? And did they have any expectations of you that uh, they, you know, told you early on? Yeah, that's that's uh, my father was a hardware engineer. Uh, growing up and my mother was she was in retail she was in sales like jewelry she was selling jewelry in the city and um you know I, I started working because I wanted by by the age of 13 you know a lot of those things became important to me especially like heading into junior high school um you know clothing and 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 fashion became a lot more important to me. Uh, and I couldn't afford, or my parents couldn't afford to buy me the things I really wanted. Like I wanted polo and my mom was buying me chaps, you know, like that was like, so, uh, I had to start working. You know, it's funny cause I just released this like Calvin Klein collection. And the funny story about that is like, you know, my mom was buying me Hanes underwear and I really wanted to wear Calvin underwear because we used to shop at the store called Filene's Basement in Fresh Meadows in Queens. Um, and it was like a discount store, but they still had like brand names in there. Uh, and all my friends were like buying these like Calvin underwear and I was wearing Hanes and it was a thing cause we'd ride with no shirts on in the summertime. Like we'd ride with BMX and ride our dinos or GT performers with no shirts on and the waistband was sticking out. So that was like the whole like inspiration behind the video we put together because at the age of 13, my first check went to Calvin underwear and like a few Tommy and polo shirts. You know what I'm saying? So my point is my parents 
once I started working, you know, I was Friday after school jetting to the city and then Saturday and Sunday. So like every single weekend, you know, while I was in junior high school and high school, um, I was working in the city and, you know, that's the path I wanted to take. I really liked retail. I liked meeting people. I liked being on the floor, on the sales floor and just like meeting, you know, the people that were coming in. Cause I worked in a very cultural block in, in New York city, um, in the East village called, you know, it was, uh, it was called the East village. It was eighth street, uh, between fifth and sixth Avenue. And during the weekends, Basically, it was like a block party every weekend and all the hip hop artists and everybody would be there. So it was really inspiring to me. And it was it wasn't work. It was I was having fun from day one, just um, getting to experience that culture. Ronnie, who were some of those people? I mean, you know, you kind of transitioned from being this you know kid that doesn't necessarily have a lot of the money to buy what he wanted to, you know, working to actually purchase those things and now you find yourself kind of in the center of you know this i assume hip-hop culture right or these hip-hop cultural figures i'm not sure if they were those figures at the time but what was that like i mean talk to us about you know those days being on that block and you know who those folks were and what that what that led to yeah i mean you know, Wu-Tang coming in, the entire clan coming in and buying Wallabies with me, you know, Lauren Hill buying Gore-Tex boots with me. And, um, you know, I've told this uh, story a few times in, in the sense of like who I've helped and how legendary that era was, you know, Diddy and Mace coming in, Jay-Z coming in every weekend, you know, like, and I was helping all these, all these artists and, um, and also listening to these artists. So like I by time off, I'm like listening to these guys and then I'm helping them on the weekend with their footwear. And it was, it was very surreal. And I think that, you know, I'm always going to be the same. That's, that's why this brand is so, uh, in line with my childhood, you know, it's like shaped by that era of that feeling because i will always have that feeling of like the mentality that you know it's it it was it was it was so far-fetched for me to get here starting there you know what i'm saying like i started in the stock room um but i I think that the the that, that time um you know that you know the age range like between the ages I would say b- between the ages of 13 and 18 I think that whatever you loved then will be what you love for the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? It's like I feel I feel like that's a fact with anyone I know. Um mm. and and it's and it's because you're loving typically or normally when you think about that time in your life, you're loving those things without any of the stresses that we have today. So it's like unobstructed love, right? For and passion yeah, it's like pure. for the it's pure exactly. And and it touches you it touches you in a way where it never leaves, you know what I'm saying? It leaves a stain. And I feel like it's ingrained in me where everything I experienced between those years, you know, I'm always 
I'm always like trying to gain those feelings back myself. And then my goal in the way that things have changed over the years of how people consume products and emotionally build, you know, or, or build emotion towards product, how consumers or, you know, people who are as passionate as I am in this industry, how they build emotion towards product is very different. So I've made it a goal of mine to try to have people love things or or care or build emotion towards product and things in general the way I did when I was younger because for me it's about love and passion you know you know we talk about for sure we talk about that you know we always see or hear about and we know like the, the the 90s era the culture the the sort of coming of age like everything sort of shifting in terms of music and you know fashion and all this stuff and you know we see a lot of things today whether it's brands or um just you know film or art or anything that alludes to those times and it's kind of nostalgic you know and that's that was like a simpler time i guess when we didn't have like social media and everyone sort of advertising everything that's going on in the world so I, what do you think about like do you think that today like the stuff that's happening at this very moment will have that same nostalgic factor that the 90s had because everything is just so documented and out there now you know that that's honestly like that's been the topic of conversation you know at any you know with my wife because my wife is 10 years almost 11 years younger than me and um with my family you know starting to think about myself starting a family and bringing in you know children and thinking about how i would raise them and what the next generation, how the next generation would look back at my generation. You know, it's like, and I feel like every generation goes through this, right? Where it's like, you know, oh, like things have changed so much. But my my take on it, and I think it's a unique one, is that, um, or at least I've been the outlier with uh, my perspective. And I feel like the 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 contrast between you know, when I was a kid pre-internet era, and I think I'm like a very special generation that has like, it's really split up 50-50 in my lifetime, right? Uh, because I'm, I'm 38. So, you know, when you think about it, like when I was like 17, 18, 19 years old, it was a very different time um, and very different in terms of how curious we used to be versus how curious people are today. And I've always met, I've always said that you can measure someone's intellect by how curious they are. And today I think that it's gotten, um, difficult to remain as curious because all of the answers are in your fingertips. Right. So it's like, when you think about, you know, I wanted to know how many years or I wanted to know how many years a certain animal lived on average. It was like, I used to have to go to my encyclopedia and look up that animal and read about that animal, you know, and to or, get or the find the, like, the smartest person on that topic and like ask them, right? Like yeah. it's, you have to go out and seek the answers of the process. Yeah, or exactly. Or use your library card and like, you know, go to, go to the local library. But you know, today it's like, because the answers are so, you know, there is so accessible in, in the sense of like it being in your fingertips on your fingertips. It's just, I think that people 
don't feel like they have to be curious because they feel like if they would be, their answers would be right in front of them. So, but I, I don't think that's the, I don't think that's, that's the sentiment for everybody. I'm just thinking the way I have evolved in my life, you know, like you don't even need to know where you're going today. You just put the address in the nav and then you go and you don't even know if you're going north or south. And that's a very different, you know, way to look at things compared to like when I first started driving and like I needed to have directions on knowing where to go. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like, uh, but I feel like in many ways we are a lot smarter, but are we smarter in the way where we are evolving better as a species? Like, are we going to be better humans, you know, and, and, you know, communicate better with one another? And I think it's, it's, it's a very interesting topic and I think we could speak about it for days and I think about it so much. Um, and, and it's because I'm at that time in my life where I'm thinking about, you know, my future family and, you know, how they're going to go through things and what they're going to be like. And all you want, I, I think like as a father, which I'm not a father yet, but thinking about it, like you just want your kids to have similar experiences to how you came up and how you evolved as a person. Right. So that's getting a little deeper into some things that are like, yeah. just the, 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 you know, the, the, I think the current mindset right now with everything that's going on with COVID, like it's just rethinking the times, I guess, you know? Well, you know, on this podcast, we like to get a little deeper than usual because like you said, people can just Google who you are, right. And they can find out for the most part, what your story is. And we'll get back to your journey in a second. But, you know, I want to briefly just continue this conversation about, you know, the word curiosity, right? You brought up the word curiosity. As kids, we were always curious, you know. We would always question, you know, why, why, how. Okay, but but why? But, but how is that possible? Because that's possible, right? Okay, so you get to this point of curiosity. and start. So now you start having these ideas and, you know, you now go out there and try to find if there's more, more things, right? I think that now we've gone from curious to critical, right? Critical in the mm. sense that because everything's already out there, we now, as people that have that information or that people that can access that information, we can now critique it, right? Whether it's fashion, whether it's business, whether it's religion, whether it's politics, right? We've all become critics. And, you know, there's two things, right? There's people that are builders and there's people that are destroyers. You know, it's something that I learned in law school. There's people that build things up and then there's people that tear things down, right? When you're curious, you're trying to always build it up, whether you're trying to build a case, whether you're trying to build a book, whether you're trying to build a shoe, whatever it is. When you're critical, you're trying to break it down. But there's also the positive side of being critical, right? It's something that I heard in one of the podcasts that you did, which was you want to go back and redo some of the things that you had designed in the past because they're not with your current mm. taste. The only mm. reason that you can do that, the only reason you can be critical was because you all were already curious at one point and it led to whatever that product or innovation was. So I think it is a cycle, right? Like it's curiosity, crit critic, and then just redoing it, right? I don't know what that third C can be, but you know, it's like recreating yourself. It's elevating oneself, right? The positive side of it. So, you know, I guess speaking on those terms, how do you view this current generation taking what we currently have, being critical and making it better, right? Whether it's things like upcycling, whether it's, you know, other materials that can be used that are good for the environment, whatever the case may be, where do you see, you know, this current generation going? 
Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of great things to say about this current generation because I feel like they care about the right things. You know, they care about the earth, you know, a lot. Speaking about the younger generation, they really want what's best for the earth and for the world. You know, when you see like all of these disasters, natural disasters happening and like people really trying their hardest to help through social media and using platforms, I think that that's a very positive, you know, evolution of how we've evolved as people, you know, trying to communicate and use a platform to do so. And, you know, at, you know, back in the day, you probably would be doing those things without having to speak about them and you just keep it to yourself and help where you can. And, but today it's like when people join forces, join together to make anything happen, literally anything can happen. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so I feel like the younger generation or I should say this newer age in, you know, and I wouldn't, I'm only, you know, I'm not super old, but I will say that I've seen a shift in mindset, you know, and it's the mindset today is like bring people together on a common goal. You know what I'm saying? And if you're able to do that, then it could really snowball into a way bigger impact than what you could have done beforehand. So right. I think it, it, in many in many ways, it's been very positive. Obviously, it, it, it can go either way because, you know, the cancel culture is a whole different story. You know what I'm saying? When, when people, it starts to snowball the other way, you know, and, and there, there comes um, the, the issue with, you know, uh, attention span, people not having an, a, much, much, um, much people, people not being very patient any longer. Like they're not, I don't feel like the patience has gone out the window with how cheap information has gotten. So like the faster information is moving, the less patient people are. And I feel like one, that's one example I can, one example on that point. I think I can think of is, you know, mu music, like how different it was back in the, even in the nineties sure. when like, let's say like a new, um, an album came out, people would really take the time to like buy the album, listen to it, appreciate it. Now it's like, we're inundated with so much content where like a, a song comes out first two seconds, you don't like it canceled, yeah. done, moving, moving to the like, next it's, one. It's like the podcast. It's like this podcast. This podcast would yeah. be like, oh, one day, oh, and then it, the next day it's something else. So that's been my that's been the hardest problem for me because what has happened is that these actions or this behavior has has changed how artists are creating content. So like because people's patience has gone down and the attention span has gone down. You're not getting artists locking themselves in the studio or in their homes for a year making an album the way it used to be. You know, when you think about how much time some of the greats, you know, no matter what the genre is, have spent making albums, just on the music side. And then also on the, you know, on the film side too, it's like they're trying to pump out as much as possible. And that's really the goal today, instead of the goal being the quality of the product, you know, it's like, and, and I feel like that's hurt substance and substance is a word that I use internally a lot because if you can't feel the substance and it's not tangible, then it's not worth it for me to get into or to work on, right. you know, like 
if it's going to be a flash in the pan, then not a good idea. So like two or three years after I started, and I think I mentioned this on the same podcast you probably listened to, um, to hear about trying to fix my older work. It's like after, after starting the business, um, I started to think about, Hey, like what I worked on half a year ago or a year ago, like had that age, you know, like how does it look or feel now? And some of the product aged well, but some of it also didn't. And, and I created this like thought process for myself where if I didn't think it would look good in the 10 year book, I wouldn't do it. So like, I'm talking about in year three, in year two or year three, I was already thinking about the 10 year book. Um, and, and I think that that, that mentality, you know, was really important for the progress that we made as a brand. And also like books like the bathing ape book, for example, um, that sits on my desk in my office. When you look at what Nigo, what Nigo did and like to build this catalog of product through the years, uh, it's, it's a little different because when you look at, you can't, you can't find that anywhere else. Cause when you look at fashion houses, you know, the designers, you know, they don't last their tenure at, at, at certain brands may only last three to four years. So like when you want to see like a full body of work, you need to see somebody's progression through a decade to really understand, you know, and, and designers and creative directors change within that. And that's why it's hard to find something consistent. So like consistency has been like such an important key for myself and the brand. And even when you look at brands evolution, like I mentioned, within those bigger brands, because if you're looking at a brand that has been around for a couple of decades, you know they're most likely going to be a very big brand. Um, you'll you'll notice that like the creatives, you know, change over time, and and the vision changes with that. So I think that we're in this like rare space where the brand will be ten years old next year, and I look back at the archives consistently and like i like to see how the brand evolves it's like a study of mine that that's like that's like what i instead of going and reading a book i go and do that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so kind of taking it kind of back again to to sort of where it all started you mentioned you know you're you're in the stock room and all these like celebrities are coming in you're 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 i don't know working with them helping them find stuff um what comes next um you know after that how did how did you you know up until you know, the point where, you know, you start bringing in these large brands, um, into the store and start working with ASICs and all that whole kind of thing. Like how did, what was that progression like? I mean, progressing from working in the stock room to then working in sales to then becoming assistant manager, then manager, then general buyer, then general buyer slash general manager. That was a 15 year process. You know, I worked I worked for David, for David Z for 15 years and 11 of them were full-time. And then the other four from 13 to 17, I was working part-time, like I mentioned on the weekend. So that was, um, an amazing education for me. That was like my school. You know what I mean? That was where I've, where I learned the most because you're like, you're in it with people. You're learning um, consumer behavior when you're not really paying attention or looking to learn that you're just learning it as you go. And it's, and, and also being around David for as long as I have, 
you know, I got to understand the business side of things where, you know, that's, that's where I feel like a lot of creatives, you know, they don't have, they, they didn't have, or don't have, uh, that part of it figured out, which, which is the hardest part to figure out. And it's something that I got to learn very early on uh, and something I'm really thankful for, you know, and I, and I, you know, I really, I feel like every creative should, should go through that because that's, you could be, and today, unfortunately, like the greatest product doesn't necessarily win, which is a big problem, you know? So that's why it's very important to understand the marketing aspect and the business side of things to make sure that the best product could win. That's like really the ultimate goal today if you're a creator, right? So back then, picking up these different, you know, these these different brands, because David Z was a brown shoe and boot retailer, and I helped them evolve into athletic footwear. And that was a transition in the early 2000s that if you didn't make, you were going out of business, you know? So I helped him open up accounts and, you know, start to buy into top tier footwear that was geared more toward the local than to, than to the tourist. And for David Z, that was a heavy transition because it started off being local and then it transitioned into more of a mass. And then I came in and started buying and took it more toward local. So it was like this wave of, of who we're going to cater to. And I had a little bit of a different business plan of what I wanted to see David Z do than what David actually wanted to do himself. So that's around the time where I thought it would be time for me to go, you know, because I, th I thought the local consumer is the only way, you know, working with the local and, you know, the people around you, that's the way you build brand equity. Like you don't build it by selling to a tourist who comes in, buys a pack of sunflower seeds in the deli and then leaves and never comes back. You know, that's not how you build a business. So you have to stand for something. And the point of view at the time, at, at, at the time, a point, the, your point of view became, you know, the most important asset, you know, because during the recession in 08, it's like the, the retailers that survived were those that had a really strong point of view on what they were doing, where you had to go there to get whatever you wanted. It's not like it was like more of a necessity type of thing than a luxury, you know? So right. I learned a lot in that. I learned a lot in that process. And, um, I got to build that business to a pretty, uh, significant, um, significant business before I left. Ronnie, you talked about a little bit about, um, you know, this newer generation's lack of patience, right. Um, and lack of perhaps even focus as a result of that lack of patience. Um, and that has led to things such as, you know, I would say fast fashion and fast food and fast music and everything that's just fast, right? Not a lot of thought, maybe a lot of action, but not, you know, not thinking about the environment, not thinking about design, not thinking about the audience. Let's just put stuff out there and let's see which one, you know, which one works, what, right? Yeah, throw throw shit in the, on the wall and see what sticks, right? It's like that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, when you were working, uh, you know, from 13 to what, 25, 20, almost yeah, 28 maybe even, um, you said 15 years. So what, how did you have the perspective or why were you patient? 
I mean, was it because that was just kind of what everybody else was doing? I mean, did you really love it? I mean, was it for you a stepping stone into doing your own thing? I just talked to us about that because I know in my, you know, younger, you know, young career, I'm still 28 years old. Um, you know, there's been a lot of times where I've been impatient or I've lacked focus and I just, I wanted something fast because I saw, you know, we've talked to 150 plus founders. I saw these people building things. I'm like, I want to be that person, right? How can I get yeah. there faster, right? Talk to us about yeah. your perspective and how that's made you who you are today, but also how others can take, you know, you as an example and remain focused, remain patient, do what they want. Well, that, that unfortunately, you know, that's, that, that's on a, I, I think that that comes with, a, with, a, with your personality. And I feel like you're born, I, I feel like a lot of it has to do with, you know, something you're born with versus your environment and how you're raised. Um, I feel like it's 50-50, to be honest. And I've always been very competitive, which in for myself, like I never want to do a half-assed job with anything I do, you know? Like if you're going to be, if you're going to be, you know, a custodian, be the greatest custodian. If you're going to be a buyer, be the greatest buyer. Like there, there shouldn't be like a job that you half-ass. I've always been raised, I've been, I, you know, I've, I've been raised that way. And I always believe that, you know, I just heard Kanye actually say it on a recent interview too. And it's true. It's like, and, and, you know, you, you, you visit certain countries and, and experience certain cultures where you see how evident that is, especially in like Tokyo or Japan, and you see how serious they are about their job. And that's like my favorite city in the world. So I learned a lot um, about how serious people take their jobs, how seriously they take it. And I've always been that type, you know, and I feel like um, my legacy and what I, I want to be remembered for caring about everything, caring about the work, caring about the product, caring about the people who are buying the product. So it's like the care and the love that you put into it, it can't only be into one dimension. It's multidimensional. Like it's like, you need to be passionate about it all. And if you're passionate only about one part of it, then you won't last. You won't have longevity. You know what I'm saying? So, and that's part of the evolution because you might first care about one certain thing and be passionate about one certain thing. But what happens is as you grow, you learn to love the process. You know what I'm saying? And you learn that each step of the process is so important to the overall goal where if you don't take your time to spend time and effort into each process, heading into the, you know, long-term goal, then you'll, you'll, you know, it's a domino effect. You'll break before you get there. And first it was like important for me to even have a long-term goal, like to understand to, how to have that and what that means. I think that that was one of the more, more important, you know, parts of all this is like being able to think that far out when you're in it for the moment, it's like the uncertainties of whether or not you're going to be around six months from now should have nothing to do with where you want to be three years from now. And I learned that early on, because if you don't have the three year end goal in mind of where you want to be three years from now or five years from now, I always have the three to five years like in front of me. I always know where I want to be. If you don't have that guiding star, then you're always going to think about the now and then your work won't speak to each, like it won't speak to each other. You know, like it won't evolve. You won't have the right progression in where you want to go. 
So I, I think that that comes with experience. You know, I'm 26 years. I'm doing this 26 years now. That's a long time. You know, it's a lot of hours. And I never worked 40 hour, 40 hour weeks. I was always the 70 hour week guy. So I don't know how to shut off. And it's like the amount of hours that you put in, that's what comes out, you know, and there's no, there's no shortcut, you know? And I think that's another thing about this younger generation is like, I'm not so sure they understand the effort that needs to go in and the hard work that needs to go in consistently to get from A to B and then from B to C before you even speak about the second half of the alphabet, you know? Um, and that's the patience that you were speaking about before. Like, that's the work ethic that kicks in, you know, and, and, um, that's, that, you know, that's always the advice that I give any, uh, any, any kids that ask me like, Oh, what, what do I do? Like, how do I start? And I, and I always give them the advice of starting at the bottom because starting at the bottom really let me, it, it gave me the opportunity to learn the business holistically and how the business works from the bottom up. Uh, and I, I would never change that. You know, that's something that always stuck with me. And I'm very thankful to have had the opportunity in 1995. Um, you know, and I continue, I think, I think that that's been a big part of the evolution. You know, and to that point, you know, obviously, you know, you've been at this for a while and you've gained all this experience along the way and, and the work, you know, clearly speaks for itself. But, you know, when you're kind of, you know, younger and, and you're working, at, you know, at David Z and, you know, you start working with ASICs who's a generation old, you know, generations old brand. I mean, I, you know, Phil Knight started with them before Nike and, you know, they've been around for a while. How do you get them to, to collaborate with you and trust you to like effectively, like just completely redesign their shoe? And like, how does that whole yeah. thing come about? That's a good question. And I feel like, um, my love and passion for those brands, the brands that I work with, I think have been so evident and felt by the brands in the way that I speak about them and in the way that I've been um, buying, basically buying these brands for the store as the multi-brand that we carry in the shop. So the support that I show these brands and the passion that I have for them, I think that for a brand to give you the opportunity to work with them and collaborate they need to feel like you're going to represent the DNA of what it is that they do so well, you know, and, and I, I've always put that at the forefront of any project that I work on because the passion that I have, again, like I'm trying to communicate and really make people feel it's a, it's, it's really an initiative of feeling like I want people to feel the way I do about this product. So uh, it's always been uh, the most important part of a collaboration is to make sure that people understand why I love the brand. And that shows people like the probably it, it, it can show the brand in a different light than what they're used to seeing because these brands have bigger marketing initiatives that speak to a larger audience. And when I work on the product, it speaks to a more niche audience and a smaller group of people. So the way that I could tell a story would be very different from the way a brand does. And that's where sometimes there's a need for the brand to work with someone like me, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does. And, and I feel like it was, I mean, it, you know, we've seen it happen a little bit more often since then, but that was kind of like, I, I don't know, you tell, you tell us like, was it common? Was it like something that you would see often for like these larger brands to work with, you know, these up and coming, 
sort of designers and folks who, you know, uh, yeah, who not, weren't not, at that level yet? Not really. Not really, no. Uh, it was something that early on I had to push for because I was trying to build, um, I was trying to differentiate David Z from the rest, you know what I mean? And just have product that no one else had. And I think that, you know, the need for that really pushed me to want to build product with these brands. And in the beginning, it, it was, I, I was skeptical. They were skeptical, you know, but when we sat down and put it together and they understood, like, they, they saw that I understood the market and knew what was missing in the market and what they weren't offering in their line. So the product that I would work on, I would find the void of what's missing and then identify that and work with them on that void. So it really helped both parties, you know, and both companies simultaneously because they get to cover something they're not currently doing. And then I get to offer something exclusive and fresh. Uh, and that's really how it started, you know, and I put my name on the product back then only because I wanted the product to, to, to differentiate itself from the other product that David was carrying in the store. You know what I'm saying? Cause like at the time, he was on Broadway and it was a mass, he was in a very mass state of mind. So, you know, there were Indigo Prevo and, you know, Crocs and, and Skechers and like brands that were very widely distributed that I, I didn't want to associate my taste level and buy for the brand. Like I was buying half the brands and then there was a buyer buying the other half. And, um, yeah. had you ever, had you ever like designed a shoe before that? Like, how did you, how did you even know what to do? Was it just purely uh, honest, out of your, I'm, it yeah. was, it, it, I didn't know what to do to answer your question. And it took me, <laughs> you know, there, I still have them at my mom's house. There were like printouts of the CAD. So they would send me a CAD. I didn't even know how to work illustrator back then. I didn't know how to work any, like I was printing out the CADs and drawing arrows into different panels of the shoe. And then referencing different materials based on other shoes with style numbers. I was referencing style numbers of other shoes to reference materials. And then I would give colors on a, you know, from a Pantone book. So, and that was a, a crazy way to do it because honestly, looking back at it now, like the product reflects that process because you're not really seeing it in front of you before you submit it. You have it in your head and you think you know what it looks like. And then the first sample comes and you're like, ah, uh, that's not it. So, you know, it was a lot of trial, it was a lot of trial and error and I had to teach myself a lot, um, to get efficient at it. You know, when did you know it was time to leave David Z and start your own thing and pave a new path for yourself? I knew when I was 15, <laughs> I knew when I was drawing, like I was drawing the first kit shop. I was drawing like what I envisioned to be my, a, like a, a sneaker shop in this like Tron looking space, like a all black tile room with like these like blue lights. That, that was the, that was how the first kit shop looked. And I was already drawing it at such a young age because I just wanted to be futuristic and different with it. Um, and I loved working in the shop so much that I, I wanted my own shop. That was like, that was the goal of right. mine from the beginning, you know? Uh, so I knew very, very young, and uh, like I said before, we just weren't in the same mindset of what we wanted to do. Like I wanted to speak right. to a different community of people, you know, and um, and that's how it all started. But when you finally decided, okay, 
it's time to open up. What, what was some of the first things that you did? I mean, and, and out of curiosity, why why'd you call it Kith? So Kith, uh, you know, was, uh, first of all, it's a four-letter word, which is like ideal, I feel like. And <laughs> uh, when when thinking about friends and family of the brand, it's such an important, and friends and family, like, I always believed that my friends were my family. So it was like, I was trying to find a word that would really just represent exactly how I felt about my friends, because I wanted my friends to be the community and the, and the customer base for the business. And I wanted all of the people who shopped at my, at my store to become my friends. Like, so Kith means friends. You know, Kith is part of the phrase Kith and Kin, which means friends and family. So I dropped Kin and kept Kith because I felt like my friends were my family. And uh, and I felt like it was a very suiting word. I feel like I felt like it suited the, the concept very well. Um, and that's that's how it started. And at first we were just a, a, a multi-brand footwear retailer who worked on collaborative footwear also. And then people wanted the retailer to become a brand. They wanted more from the retailer because we became a community, you know, like we had like a courtyard outside the shop and a lot of people were coming just to hang out and, right. you know, they want, they wanted it to stand for more than just multi-brand footwear, you know? How did so the whole thing start? Like, started. Did you, like when you leave, like how does, how do you build the store? Like, did you have to go out and raise money? Did you just invest all your money into it? How do you get it going? Yeah, so, so my partner till today, uh, his name is Sam uh, Sam Ben Avraham. He was he was the uh, the founder and well, there were three brothers that were founders of Atrium, which was a mecca for apparel. It was it was a legendary institution for apparel in in uh, Manhattan. Um, just like David Z was also an institution for footwear. These are like the guys that really led the way in, uh, in the mid nineties. And, you know, so, um, he also was the founder of project show, which was a trade show. And I was buying at the trade show and he's, a he's a very important person in the industry that I looked up to. And he you know, he really reached, he reached out to me around the time that I started to feel this way about what I wanted to do. And he asked me if I was interested in joining Atrium and doing this footwear thing for Atrium. And at first I said no. And the conversation continued until he asked me what I would like to do. And I told him what I wanted to do and he believed in me. And um, that's how I raised the money to do it. Like he funded the first, you know, it was, uh, honestly, it was a small amount of money. You know, you started two stores. You start two kids stores from the get-go, um, you know, two retail stores, and you're ready to get this business going. How are you so convinced that what you were about to embark on was going to be a success? I mean, it's, it's kind of rare for people to open up two stores from the get-go without even testing out if their brand and if their model is going to work. And here you are in New York starting two stores. So talk to us a little bit about, a little bit about that and how things went. So when I first, uh, 
left David Z. Remember, I was I was um, running ten stores at the time, you know, and here I was like opening, literally, uh, what was twenty five percent the size of one of David's stores. Right, it was like a eight hundred square foot space, um, and. I knew how to do that business. You know, that was a multi-brand footwear business. And I, I really understood that business well. But I got to tell you, self-doubt is, uh, is a part of everyone's leap into anything. You know, self-doubt is always going to be a challenge for everybody starting something new or enter, entering a new business, especially when you're not entering it, you know, as a part-time thing. This is like a full dive into like, this is what I'm going to be doing now for the next X amount of years. So I felt like I was young enough. I felt like, uh, you know, I was willing to take the risk and I did not know for sure. No one knows for sure, but I was confident. And that's the one thing that I think, you know, people have always, uh, I think people see that I've, I've always been this confident person when it comes to business into the ideas and, and, and the execution and what I do, because I really put my heart into it and I put my all into it. So, um, it was, uh, September 30th, 2011, that we opened our first store and the second store, uh, in Soho, Soho opened in November. Um, and you know, there was, it was, uh, it was incredible. You know, it was challenging, but incredible. I remember sleeping in the, in the Soho shop for a week before we opened no shower, building the store with my own hands along with the GC for a, we had a very low budget to, to build that shop. And my father came in and helped us like, you know, it was, it was really a labor of love. And, um, when you put that much into something, you just, can't let it fail. And, and I, I really believe in that, you know, like when you work and you, when you work on something so hard and put your all into it, you know, it's, it's going to be very hard for that thing to fail because you're so emotionally connected to it that, you know, you will yourself to do things that you didn't even think were possible. You know what I mean? You take yourself to a level you didn't even know was possible. So that was the, that was the that was the the whole mind state heading into opening that shop and then you know when we opened it was exciting because that's exactly what was missing you know what i mean and i feel like you know similar to Mickey Drexler who i've had uh uh the pleasure of sitting down and having a couple of meals with um in the last couple of years you know I really see myself as a buyer and a merchandiser at trade, you know, like, and, and, and at heart, because that's where I, that's how I grew up in this business. So, mm -hmm. you know, understanding what's missing from the market and understanding what people are going to like needs to align first and foremost with what I love and what I'm passionate about. But when those two things align, you know, it's, uh, the experience really kicks in and, you know, you're able to let that play a, bi a big part of what it is that you do. You need to have that experience to understand how to bring things into fruition. Mm -hmm. Ronnie, that Soho store in New York, I mean, I I've been to it. Is, it. is it the same one that you started back in 2011? 
No, no, no. The one I started in 2011 was on the corner of Bleecker and Broadway. Got and uh, and about three years, I want to say it's three years, but it might be two. No, I think it's three. Three years now. Uh, we moved to the Soho location, which is like the standalone building. Yeah. Got it. Right. And and I know since, you know, since that time when you first opened the two stores, you've opened up several more um, and the brand has, you know, grown significantly. But I'm curious, you know, that was kind of the time when I can imagine, you know, like e-commerce, the e-commerce wave is coming about and more brands that used to be in these sort of retail establishments are moving online and going direct to consumer and, and that whole shift is happening. And so sort of where things are at now with, with where e-commerce is and, and where retail is, where, how do you see that whole thing playing out, you know, in terms of these brands having retail establishments like Kith? And, um, you know, do you think that it's, it's meant for certain types of brands over others? Or can everyone sort of gain from that retail experience? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, the, the concept of this brand has always been, you know, the physical experience in the shop. Like, the, the whole brand was built on an experience that you're supposed to have. So... Uh, the online portion of it is to give access to people who can't make it to the shop. And that's the concept, you know? So what other people are doing and other businesses I can't really speak to because I don't know. Uh, I just know the way that we put it together. Um, and, you know, a lot of it, also, we haven't spoken about the team, which has grown significantly, but also, like, building the team is was the hardest, was harder than building the store, you know? And having... Um, building the infrastructure within the back, you know, the back end of what makes, what makes it possible for this to exist. You know, it's very difficult to do, you know what I mean? And, um, that's been a major, a major part of it too. And being able to grow the online experience, being able to grow the physical experience at the same time, you know, and then building product design, development, production, graphics, you know, logistics and, um, marketing buying all the categories that are within the brand you know uh finance it's um you know we're we're around 100 people now in the office so it's not small and uh and it's growing because we're going to grow internationally you know we opened our first store in tokyo a couple of months ago and uh it's uh yeah, it's it's not easy, you know, and it's uh it hasn't gotten easier. Let's put it that way. You talked early on even about just your passion for people being around people, being on the floor, right, interacting with team customers, you know, brand directors, et cetera, et cetera, um, and that's really what goes into the experience for the customer as well. On the flip side, you know, when you walk into a kid store, you know whether it was the one in Soho that I walked into or the one here in West Hollywood, you know, you just feel like you're in your current generation, like you're in 2020, but with that bit of nostalgia, right? It's not, it's not this thing where you feel like you're in 1995. You feel like you're in 2020, but you also remember 1995, which is, I think the vibe you're going for, if I'm not mistaken, you know, I, I still believe that retail it will exist, right, in some sort of form, and it'll be more experiential. Um, and I say that because as a fan of brands, like I want to feel, I want to touch, I want to talk to the people there, right? Yes, you can do that online. There's going to be new technologies where you could interact with, you know, you know, customer representatives, you know, online, whatever. It's just not the same, right? I can't 
build a relationship with you simply by having a customer service interaction online. But I guarantee if I see you in person, whether I'm a customer, or I'm a sales rep, or I'm a manager, I'm going to create some sort of energy with you, whether it's positive or negative, right? With the pandemic, you know, obviously just changing everything, how do you see Kith, you know, coming back? You know, do you see it coming back? Is it going to be even more retail? Is it going to be more e-commerce? Is it just digital, right? Where do you see the brand evolving to? Yeah, when you say coming back, like we've we've been open now for a couple of months, so we are back, and uh, it's been, um, it's been it's been okay since we opened. Obviously, traffic is down only because we have to control the traffic in the shop and make sure that we don't let too many people in. But um, where do I see it evolving to? It's going to evolve in the sense that we're going to get better at making product. And that's where I think it matters most when you speak about evolution of our brand, you know, the Kith brand. Um, to me, when I look at the brand, when I look at the logo of the brand, what, the, what that logo has meant in the last few years has changed significantly over the years. And I think that that's because I'm seeing the process of what we're doing to evolve design and construction and categories within the umbrella, whether it's, you know, accessories all the way to outerwear. Uh, and I think we're getting a lot better at what we're doing in terms of the product, in terms of the experience in the shop, the shops are also going to evolve. Like the store we opened in Tokyo, I wish that was my current store in Soho. You know what I mean? Like, we're getting better at like building and, and we're getting better because we're learning a lot through the flow of traffic and, you know, what people want from the spaces. And then we're consistently changing the concept to, to better ourselves, you know? So, um, we study, you know, we're, we're nerds, you know what I'm saying? At the brand, we study, we listen, um, and we know we don't know it all. And I still think, and I still feel, and this is, I guess, with uh, many entrepreneurs that are similar to myself, like, I always feel like I'm at the very beginning of something. Like, it's like, I don't feel like, even though I feel like I'm 26 years in and I'm experienced, as experienced as I am, I know that I haven't even scratched the surface with what I want to do. And that's because I continue to be inspired and I think that that's the hardest thing is like waking up every morning and feeling inspired and loving what you do. You know what I'm saying? That's a mentality. It's a mentality. So um, to answer your question, it's like we're going to get better at making product and we're going to get – we haven't explored categories. Like for example, our women's category, we haven't even like – it's been – just an experience it's been ex experimental for us it's been like an experiment after an experiment and like we're consistently like trying to find our footing and like build identity the men's has an identity because it's my closet with women's it's something that i had to build and it's been uh challenging but we've we've i finally feel like really really good about where we are and where we're going so there's yeah constantly like categories within the company and within the umbrella between men's women's and kids and then subcategories under that um which have to be developed 
um, in a very unique way, and they all need to stand separate from each other but still speak to each other. And it's it's a you know it's it's a moving target. It's it's a it's it's definitely one of the more uh, complex and complicated um, business strategies to figure out. You know, especially because it's so it's it's multi brand and our own, and mono brand. And then the mono brand is broken into categories and then multi-brand is broken into categories. And then you have men's multi-brand, women's multi-brand, footwear multi-brand. And then you have men's, women's, kids, kith brand. And then within that, you have so many subgroups and categories. And it's like, it becomes a very enormous family tree that just breaks off into crazy branches, you know, and each one is your kid. It's like, they're all your babies. You know what I mean? So it's a, um, you know, when, when, when any entrepreneur starts a business, you know, you're, you're typically just doing everything yourself, right? Like you mentioned building the store with your own hands and, you know, doing this and doing that. Everything is just like kind of relying upon you until you start building out the team. So I'm curious now at this point when you have all, you know, a a much bigger team, what is your daily involvement? Like, what do you, what do you mostly focus on over other things? Is it mainly the creative side? Is it other things as well? Like what's, what's sort of the involvement right now? So, um, like really heavily involved in all of it and uh <laughs> and i know that that's like a uh it's it's i laugh because it's like sad and then funny at the same time because and it's not it's not because i have to be as involved as i am in everything it's because it's not because i have to be in the sense of is it going to get done i have to be because my name has become synonymous with the brand and I need to be in love with everything we put out. I need to be in love with it. And if I take any sort of step back, um, then there would be product that releases potentially or an experience, any sort of experiential factor of what we do that might differ from what I want myself. And then I fall out of love with it. And the difference maker between what I do and other businesses is how passionate I am about everything we do. That's the biggest difference maker. So like when you see the multi-brand, even the buy that we place is so curated, you know, and it's, it's what I love. It's like everything that I've seen. And as far as what we make on the men's side, at least it's like, there's not one thing we make for men that I wouldn't wear, which is huge because I don't know of many designers that do it that way. And on the women's mm-hmm. side, it's like between my wife, my mom, and my sister, I feel like the goal is always to make product that all three of them would want. And on the women's side, I have a very unique perspective on that. And as far as the kids category goes, I just want it to be a miniature version of what we're offering for men's and women's. <laughs> Cause I feel like for kids, yeah. they don't have those options, you know? So yeah, yeah, it's a very. I have a very unique perspective on it, but it's also very much built on personal taste. So, a lot of it comes from there. And then on the marketing end, it's like people can only see the product through my eyes. And when I say through my eyes, it's like I need them to see it the way I see it, so they can like it the way I like it. Because if they like it any other way, then they're liking it for the wrong reasons. And then it's like I, I can't build my map of longevity not fully understanding how people are connected to the product. You know, on that point though, like how, how do you, I'm, I'm, I imagine you want Kith to last a very long time, right? Even after you're, you're gone and, and you're, you're still a young guy and you know, you, I'm sure there's still a lot to do, but 
how do you build in your sense like a brand that could outlast you at some point and 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 live yeah. i don't know decades centuries no so that's that's a great question because i feel like on the same note of everything i just spoke about the longer i'm working with my team that i currently have now and they've and and this team has been around for a while when we speak about creatives um because the longevity really like the, the on, on the operation side it's like it's as important as anything but less important when it comes to my involvement right so my involvement creatively i think you know the longer i work with my current team uh the more they understand how i think and how i see things and then they start to see it the same way when they work so it's like on on my for example like buying footwear buying specifically i have an amazing uh an amazing young kid from queens that you know um he started he, his experience he was a planner before but he's been buying with me now for a couple of years and he's caught on to like how i see that world as far as he can, like as far as he can like 2 years is still not a full cycle you know it's like i've seen the cycles in footwear 25 years i i think i've seen about 7 cycles and that's just like understanding when things come and go uh but that comes with time and it comes with experience but i make sure to spend the time to explain and i invest in the people that work with me so eventually you know the goal is for them to see things and think of things the way i do um because the way i think of things it's not so they could think of things the way i do it's just that the way i think of things is the way the brand looks at things it's like i'm synonymous with the brand i just like have a perspective from day one my day one perspective of the brand is built off of progression and evolution so if they came in 7 years later you know they haven't understood the building blocks of what it took to get there so it's like it's constant you know conversation that's important there but eventually i feel like we could get there as as the brand grows i think i read somewhere like a personal philosophy of yours is like you want to give consumers more than what they pay for more value than what they're paying uh, how do you go about doing that as the brand brand grows and and can you elaborate on what that means to you yeah so the the store the investment in the shops were the first that was the first that was the foundation of the brand the concept of giving people more than what they pay for because the experience in the shop is free you don't have to buy anything in the shop you know and if you want to consume the brand for 7 or 8 bucks you could get you know you go to kith treats and get yourself you know something special and consume the brand that way uh, and that was purposely done that way just to make people smile in the space so they can build an emotion to the brand without having to buy anything really you know um i think that that that's been uh, a very important part of of the whole philosophy around it is like you know the consu- the, the consumer buying product that's another part of it is like we don't wholesale the brand so because i don't wholesale you know i can offer the product at at less of a cost to the consumer because we're cutting out the middleman we're going direct to consumer right so it's like being able to do that i'm able to sell outerwear pieces that are 395 that really should be 600 to 700 or 800 you know 
and I'm able to sell, you know, uh, our suiting jackets, you know, like the Becker coat for 300 bucks when it really should be 600 bucks. So like they're going to get these pieces that normally they would find at a way higher price tag. And that's what I mean by giving the consumer more than what they pay for. And it's also in the materials and construction. It's just like what people are used to buying versus what they can expect from us. You know, it's building that standard. Ronnie, you know, what's very interesting about something you said earlier. And I've just been thinking about it as well as something that's just fascinating to me about creatives in general is that they obviously like to pave their own path, but at the same time, what that does is it, it, it engraves as a part of history this new you know form or this new creation that others now can follow and they can iterate on or whatever right and you know yes your product is clothing yes it's shoes or accessories ice cream whatever that's just kind of the for me the way i view it is the byproduct but you you as a designer right you are coming up with these designs or this form or this way of doing things it reminds me a lot of some of a furniture maker that i was recently introduced to his name is sam maloof who no longer is alive and i don't know if you've heard of sam maloof but he designs like or he designed mid-century modern right furniture even though he's passed those that have come after him it's still done in the eye of sam maloof even though they themselves are if not maybe they're as not if not as good if not better than sam it's still done through his design right and so for me, that's very interesting because you see that, but you don't see a lot of it in this day and age, right? You see people trying to copy others or trying to change something little, but why don't we see people taking the Feig eye, the, sorry, the the, the Ronnie Feig eye or the Sam Maloof eye or, you know, the Virgil Abloh eye and like creating in their likeness, right? And doing things the way they've done it. Like, why don't we see more of that? Because the process from inception to execution is very very difficult and it's difficult enough to do it once but the consistency is what takes the sacrifice of giving up everything in life to see these things come to life you know so i think that that all has to do with the way people prioritize their lives i just prioritize this over everything and you know it's affected my health my family my relationships it's affected everything because this is what I devoted my life to. It's like, this is what my passion is. This is what I feel like I was meant to do. So I feel like to answer your question, everybody has their own version of what they think people need or people would want, right? That's like people do, people are merchandising without knowing they're merchandising. If you're like a musician and you're making uh, music, you're putting music out in the world that you think people need or want. So in a way, hopefully, your merchant. No, no, I, I'm saying, I said they think, right? They think. Yeah, yeah. Hope, oh, you're saying hopefully that hopefully that's a thought process? Hopefully that's yeah, the so, case. Like, you know, people, yeah. I mean, in, in my, what my point was, even musicians are merchandisers. You know, like you're putting product out there in the world thinking that people need that product, obviously. Otherwise, you would just make it for yourself, right? Or you're trying to make a living, which you're thinking like, hey, this is something people will want, so I can make a living off this. You know, for me, it's a little bit different. For me, it's like, what do I want myself in my closet? And then 
I feel like my passion for, for the product is so strong that if I can relate, if I can relay the message to the consumer of why I want this product as much as I do, which is all true and it's like an organic thing to do for me, then I feel like people can build emotion to the product the way I do. It's like, if I show you my collection of product, like I do that for myself, you know what I mean? Like I build product to, to then be able to sell the product to the, or, or to be able to sell the product to the world and give access. But if I show you my collection of product, like I haven't shown anybody, but if anybody was to see how I collect the product, then people will understand my obsession with it. I am obsessed with the product that we make, you know, like, and only the people that work in my office, the creatives understand it because I walk in and like the way I'll speak about product, it's what keeps them inspired. You know, it's like, I just am in love with what I do. So if everybody can do that, if everybody could be in love with what they do, you'll end up with the same. And there are many people that, that end up on the same path. I'm not the only one that's doing this. You know, there are many people right. that are doing it. But to answer your question, it's all about the level of passion. And then even, even if you're as passionate as I am, now do you have the know-how on how to bring it to fruition, on how to execute and how to build it and bring it to market? You know, that's, that process is not, it's not an easy process, you know, especially today in building a following and having consistency and being able to speak about things in a way that, you know, feels right and, and makes people feel like it, it's, it's organic to you. Right. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. When you, when you think back to, you know, if you put yourself in the mind of 13 year old Ronnie right now, uh, and, and you look, you know, 25, 26 years into the future where you are right now, did you ever think, or would you have ever thought that you'd be in this position? And if so, why did you think that? And if not, why didn't you think that way? Definitely not. And I didn't because I'm a street kid from Queens who like, that wasn't even what we were hoping for. That's not even, that wasn't, that wasn't the, you know, it was like, it, it was never even, you know, that's, that's why it's, to me, it's like such a, un, you know, it's, it's such a, um, unlikely scenario because growing up where I grew up, like we used to hang, we used to bike and hang around the corner and just like chill and, you know. I, I don't know. It's just. Where did you think you would I, be? Like, what did you have like any idea of where, like, did you have like a vision of what, you know? Like, no, 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 no. It was, it was, like? no, it was never, it was never. Honestly, I remember feeling, I still remember the feeling of being so young and looking at like, even my sister and being like, I'm never going to get to that age. Just, and she was six years older than me. So I remember being like 15 and her being 21. And I'm like, I'm never going to be 21. And then later it was like, <laughs> I'm never, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to have a, like, I remember the feeling of being, I was never like, you know, I, I, now I, when I tell you, I'm like looking at the business and I could see the business three to five years down the line. I never had that for myself. So it was like, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. And that's why I think the evolution of this brand and myself, like 
I'm just consistently making the best of an opportunity as tastefully and as, you know, rewarding to myself in terms of it being organic to myself. Like it needs to feel natural. The growth needs to feel natural. It needs to feel good. I don't want to feel like I'm rushing anything. I want to feel like it's all part of the building blocks in life. I have a different perspective on it today, you know, where when I was younger, I probably just like wanted to do as much as I can to get the furthest. And then like, you know, I think things have changed, especially since I started the brand. And understanding that like, when you look back at it, you want to make sure that you, again, like, that's the most important part of this conversation, I think, is like, the ability to look back and see the evolution and feel it, you know, and look back at the archive and, and see, physically be able to see the growth. Because that that is so important, you know what I mean? And any designer's like archive is being able to see the growth. And I, and I think that that's something that, you know, people had to bear with me in the beginning as like the product wasn't nearly as good as it was five years ago, you know what I mean? When I first started. So, you know, it's uh it's all a learning curve, man. You know, we won't keep you here much longer, but you know, the final question that I have is I know you're not a father yet, but you know, you talk about wanting to start a family, you know, with your wife and you know, your kid will grow up and your kids will grow up, you know, different than how you grew up, right? In the sense that, you know, they have this father who, you know, has built a successful business, has, you know, a very vast network across the world. You know, how will you, you know, guide them, right? And I'm not, and I want to use the word guide because you can't really tell your kids, you know, at one point what to do, right? At 13 years old, you were already working, you. So, how will you guide your future future kids on life and their path and how to pursue the things that they love? You know, if and the reason why I brought up Joey so early in the convo is if I've never if I never met Joey, I don't know what I would be doing today because I found my passion so early in life and not everybody is able to find that. You know, and, and I think that forcing passions on people isn't possible. You know what I mean? Like I, I already have plans. I want my kid to play every sport, but like, it doesn't mean he's going to, he or she would like any sport, you know, like, I don't know. It's, uh, raising, I I don't, the answer to your question is like, I really am always thinking about that same question is like, what will my future kid, you know, be like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. And, and the fact that they're not going to be able to experience life the same way, you know, yeah. to, to, to have the kind of conversations that I've had with my friends, because, you know, communication is completely different. They're not going to have the same emotion toward like, to, like you can't have the same emotion to today's films than you did back then. You can't. It's impossible because they're built for a different reason today. They're built for a different yeah. audience who may not even understand the substance if they see it because substance has a new standard. So it's like it's it's a very different day. And again, there are a lot of positives that come out of that because I feel like people are smarter. They're quicker to understand things. They're, you know, 
they're they're way quicker to adapt to different things. Um, but what's miss what's going to be missed is the emotional connection to substance in all the different categories because the way things were built, like you said, how much time was spent building those things. You know what I mean? And that goes for anything. For anything. The time that was spent. Yeah. You mentioned you can't um, you know, force passion on people and I and I completely agree, but do you think that, you know, it's possible to put let's say your kids or just anyone in a situation where they could be exposed to more things like sure do you think that meeting, you know meeting you know or just like the people you met and the things that happened to you at a young age was purely serendipitous do you think that that, that could be something that you could orchestrate yes i do i think that it's important to you know put your kids in a very diverse environment and I don't mean just people. I mean cultures, sports. I mean film everything. Just have them be as cultured as possible, so that they can pick a lane. You know what I'm saying? And and, and you know, I had to do that for myself because I don't think my parents even knew how to do that. So they were new to they were new to the environment the way I was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's it's a, they moved to the states two years before I was born. Um, no, sorry, that's wrong. They moved to the States, uh, six years before I was born. Cause they moved to the, the year that my sister was born. I think they moved here. So, but I think it's, it is very common for children of immigrant parents to feel that way. Cause they're not, they haven't been in the, in the States for so long to understand how, you know, how things work and, and like, what's, you know, what's, no, sure. you know, it's just, they're, just, they're just trying to figure it out at the same time. So, so it's, exactly. it's probably very common. Exactly. And you know, like, I feel like still today, I'm like teaching my parents a, a ton of shit too. So it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's weird how that, that comes full circle, you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, I, I feel like I was really blessed to grow up in the environment that I grew up in though, because it, it did, it did let me identify the lane very early on. And I think that that was, I don't believe in luck. Uh, but if there is something that I believe in, it's, hard work and uh direction and i feel like i was fortunate enough to understand what i loved early on um and that's why i think it's important to make sure that your kids are as cultured as possible so that they can pick a lane like we just spoke about it's very important so it's a great point you bring up yeah ronnie how would your parents describe you and kith if i had to ask them right now if they were the ones being interviewed what would they say about you and kith <laughs> I wish that people like understood my parents' personalities. You know, like I wish that people got to see and and like hear. My father is the most frugal, like down to earth, anti brand, like <laughs> super. Just he's like Larry David. Okay. That's, that's like my dad. My dad's like Larry David. I wanted to buy my dad a car when he had, he had a 1994 Ultima and he was like, are you kidding? I'm going to drive this thing until it falls apart. I will never just get rid of my car just to have a new one. That's the way my dad thinks. Right. So, and my mom is the opposite, you know, the polar opposite. My mom is like glamorous, even though she didn't have the funds to be as glamorous as you'd think when you picture that. 
she was making the best of her situation to be as glamorous as possible. And she loves fashion. She loves, you know, she, she has that way about her. So like, I think the combination of both of those things make me really appreciate everything I have. Um, but also like I strive to be the best at it and be the biggest that I can be about it. So it's a very unique uh, relationship that they have. And I think I'm a very uh, unique combination of like the both of them uh, and, and thinking about what to do in certain situations. I'm, I really am split sometimes uh, because I have both of those like little characters on my shoulders kind of trying to convince me to do certain things. And it's like, it's just a funny battle within myself. Yeah, your dad reminds me of this, this tick, and my dad's the same way of this TikTok video I saw the other day. It was this Armenian girl with her Armenian dad, and she was showing off her seventy-five dollar Morphe brush, and her dad was next to her, and, and, and he's like, "You spent seventy-five dollars for a Morphe brush? What are you gonna do? Paint the fucking house with that brush?" And you know, he just like goes off about this seventy-five dollar brush. She's like, and she's like, "Dad, it's Morphe." He's like, "Morphe, my ass!" You know, what are you, like who gives a shit? You know, so it's like, but it, it's kind of cool to have that reminder because even I, I can imagine as you're designing this stuff, you know, for the people that know Kith, I mean, like you're going in, it's like Tommy Hilfiger, Nautica, of course, like you're collaborating with these people. But when I was growing up, Tommy Hilfiger wasn't high end, right? It wasn't like, you know, high end yeah, luxury but, but, fashion. But, 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 but how old are you? You're 28, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Tommy for us was high end fashion. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Ten, ten years right. later, it was a different story. But like that, that was our high end fashion because our age range, teens to like mid 20s, even early 30s, they weren't buying fashion house product. It was a different it was tiered differently. Fashion house was like selling to the to the to the older consumer. And, you know, Tommy. Nautica Polo, they were all, they had that generation on lockdown because they built these worlds for, the, for these uh, generations. So um, very different, but to speak about like, like, like I don't tell my father what I spend on anything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I, I, I cannot tell my dad, you know what I mean? Like he still go, like he still shops in the supermarket and like buys the, the vegetables or fruits that are on sale. Like, he right. he do, he doesn't understand the concept of spending extra money on anything that's not necessary. You know, you know what I mean? Right. Unless it's necessary, right. you know. So it's it's just it's it's a, it's a good balance, I, though. I think I think it's a uh, good balance to, and I think the, I think the pandemic has been a perfect. I think he's probably you know he's probably enjoying this pandemic because you know the one thing that I've learned <laughs> is that you know you don't really need a lot, right? Like you don't really need a lot of things that we have. Like there's a lot of the basic things that you need in life and that's about it. Everything else is extra. Right. And I think that goes to your dad's point. And a lot of immigrant fathers probably have that same exact mentality of like, what's the point? Like, why are you spending like hundred dollars on jeans? Like I'll go get it from downtown for 20 bucks. You know, that's the kind of mentality. hundred percent. You know, it's, it's just how it is. We could probably talk for five, six hours here and, you know, hopefully one day we can meet in person over drinks and dinner and, you know, 100%. chat about our immigrant parents and way of life. But, you know, thank you so much, Ronnie, for spending almost two hours with us today. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we can't wait to see what comes next for 
you know, Kith and you, and, you know, we're looking forward to you having a family and seeing how your kids grow up and uh, it's, it's going to be a fun one. So thank you. No doubt. You got it. And thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it would be good to get together in person for sure after all this shit and uh, kick it uh, and grab some coffee. So thank you guys. Absolutely. And uh, I appreciate it. I'll, uh, I'll speak to you guys soon. Thank you.